We are in the book of Jude, starting an introduction to the book of Jude. Uh, again, this is a book that has been neglected, uh, some people would say, a lot because it's at the end of the Bible. It's a, a short book. It's negative. It also refers to two apocryphal books of the Jews that are not what we consider Scripture, nor do the Jews consider them Scripture, but the Jews did refer to them and use them as, as information in history. Uh, it's also, we're going to see, uh, much of this is repeated in the book of 2 Peter, so it's, it's redundant in a sense. Uh, but yet, it's a very interesting book, a uh, timely book, and uh, what we do not know, uh, we, we, we're pretty sure who the, who the author is, Jude. Uh, I'm going to present it as uh, the brother of James, the, the one we just finished, James, the leader of the church, and the brother of Jesus. Uh, he doesn't call himself the brother of Jesus, nor did James. James referred himself as a servant of Christ. Jude will begin the, the opening line that he is a servant of Christ, and he identifies himself as a brother of James. Now, we're going to go through a lot, a lot of this and look at some other options just so we can eliminate them. Uh, but what is interesting is, just like James begins his book, James, uh, the servant of Jesus Christ, is like, like who, who are you? Usually you say, James, son of so-and-so. You have some kind of you know, connection because you know, just going out there, unless your name's Galen, uh, you, you know, there's someone else called your name. You know, there's, there's you know, a lot of names. And so there's a lot of James. But James was famous enough that he could, he could run on just saying James and the churches he was writing to knew who he was. Jude appears to be similar. He can call himself Jude, but doesn't list his father's name, which would be normal, but instead goes to a famous brother. That and because there is a lot of Judes. Jude is... Uh, the, the word we use or the name we use in the English Bible uh, to separate from Judas. Uh, Judah was the Hebrew name, which is translated Jude. Judah in Greek from Hebrew is Judas, like this is the tribe of Israel. Someone could be called Judah. But when it becomes Greek, it becomes Judas, like Judas Maccabeus, when they revolted against the, the solutions of the Greek military. Judas was actually the name Jude, just in Greek. Well, then in the Christian world, Judas, who's known in famously in the, in the Christian world in, as Judas, that's the one who betrayed Jesus Christ. So if your name is Judah, Judas, it's like, uh, I'm going to go with Jude. And that's how we end up with Jude. In the ancient world, the only people ever... Re there, a Jude was a, for, uh, obviously a, a uh, often used name, but it was always Jewish. Uh, it was never, never circulated or crossed over into the uh, Gentile world. So whenever you bump into Jude, you're talking, in the ancient world especially, uh, about a, a Jew. Now, if you're in the modern world, uh, you may have a grandson named Jude, like, like we do. Uh, but nonetheless, that is the s setting right here. So there are uh, many uh, Judes, Judases, Judas in the Bible. I'll refer to a few of them. But the fact that he refers to uh, a famous brother kind of you know, limits it down to who's a famous James, especially in the church setting. I mean, that's really a, a no-brainer. I mean, you can think about it and look at options, but really James, the brother of Jesus, the head of the Jerusalem church, I mean, he's... He's very familiar to the church in the book of Acts. James is. Uh, Jude just kind of pops up on the radar. Uh, we know that he is the younger brother. When the list of the brothers in, in the Gospels, Jesus' brothers, they were not believers. They did not accept Jesus. 
which again, you can be critical of them. Why didn't you believe in your brother being the Lord? It's like, but of course, that's kind of an obvious why you don't think your brother is the son of God, because we got the same mom and dad. We do dishes together. We do farming together. We, it's like, well, no, no, believe in me for your salvation. It's like, uh, they just beat him up probably. Oh, uh, not really. I mean, I just, I made that up. But uh, he was, Jesus, of course, was the older brother. Jude appears to be the youngest brother. There's a chance he was the second, the youngest, but we'll just say he's the youngest brother, and James would have been the oldest brother after Jesus. Uh, and that just kind of gives a little setting. Uh, I think the best thing to do right now, so we know what we're talking about, is without comment, and again, I'm going to read the book of Jude in the NIV, since I've got my NIV. I don't have the English Standard Version of the notes. Uh, <clears throat> but here is the book of Jude. The things you're going to be looking for uh, that you won't find is uh, who this was written to, and we'll talk about that, where it was written from, and we'll talk about that, and when it was written. Uh, we're going to bypass the whole argument uh, or the debate on, you know, is it uh, authoritative? Is it actually the Word of God? The early church recognized it as early or as part of Scripture. There were times when they didn't know if it was going to be accepted into the canon or not. The date was never, uh, or the authenticity or the author was never questioned. Uh, but there was some, you know, as they put the canon together, what's going to be accepted? It was circulating in the churches. It was accepted, you know, very early. Uh, in Egypt and, and those places, and eventually throughout the Christian world. Uh, so there, we have no trouble with it being part of the canon. Um, uh, so I'm going to go ahead and read this, and uh, here it is. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James. There it is. To those who have been called, who are loved by God the Father and kept by Jesus Christ. That's who he's writing to. So we're going to possibly consider this a circular letter to several churches. Uh, it could be to a particular church in Israel or churches in Israel, or it could be throughout the Mediterranean world, Egypt, Syria, uh, in those areas. Uh, but there is a problem. And I'm going to suggest as you look at this, I think this is being written to Jews. So there's Jewish readers but there is great sin in the church, great sin being brought into the church by leaders, uh, traveling teachers possibly that are Christians, but we see this with Paul in other places too, Greek philosophers or people that want to be traveling teachers, and they would make money for their teaching, but they would come in and they'd begin, anytime you have a group of people, they have a power base, uh, you're going to have people come in and try and use that power base, try and network. Nothing wrong with networking, but there is, uh, it's like, you know, going online. You better have some kind of a virus protection. It's like nothing wrong with going online, but if you just go online, there's people out there hacking, stealing, and they're going to take everything from you. you. You start a group of people, you get a power base. Nothing wrong with networking, but be careful who you network with because someone is trying to get through your filter, and these leaders in the church had gotten through the filter system uh, and were corrupting the church. And so here it is. He's addressing the church. Uh, Mercy, peace, and love be yours in abundance. Dear friends, although I was very eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I felt I had to write and urge for you to contend for the faith. So <clears throat> there's a salvation that he wanted to talk about. And I think that's going to play into our book here. 
the salvation explained by Paul, salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, not by works that no one can boast. It's just saved by faith in Christ. He wanted to talk about that because it's, it's, it has to be clear. You're not saved by the Jewish law. You're not saved by good works. You're saved by the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But because of the misunderstanding or the ability to twist that, we see in our own culture, God is love, God is tolerant, God is not going to judge me, God accepts me as I am. Indeed, he accepts everyone as you are with the intention of conforming you into the image of Jesus Christ. It's a process. You're never going to earn God, but you can come by grace to God and then begin being changed by him. He is, is facing now the idea that we have this great salvation but some have taken this great salvation and twisted it into just go right back to the world, you're good to go. And he says, I want to write about our great salvation we share, but felt I had to write to you and contend for the faith. Now, the faith here is a, is a reference to the doctrines, the, the embodiment of Christianity. It's not, you know, you have faith as great as a mountain or or faith that can move a mountain, or whatever. It's like it's not your faith in Christ. It's the it's the Christian doctrine, the faith. What what faith do you follow? Are you and then you name your religion. So the faith is the Christian faith, which is this embodiment of truths that have come together, and they were established early on. These are the things that we believe. Paul addresses. These are the things we accept. And if you don't accept these, you are not in the faith. So. He's, he's trying to, in a sense, now protect the faith. We've got to fight for, contend for the faith. Uh, protect the faith. That was once for all entrusted to the saints. For certain men, here's the problem, for certain men whose condemnation was written about long ago have secretly slipped in among you. They are godless men who <laughs> change the grace of our God. Right there. They change the grace of our God into a license for immorality and deny Jesus our only sovereign and Lord. So right now, in, in a case right there, and I'm going to make this presentation, is they've taken, in a sense, Paul's interpretation or teaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ that we see throughout the New Testament, and they've received it and then twisted it. And we're saved by grace, not by works, so it doesn't matter what we do. It's like, well, then just keep right on going. And so you can see right there, uh, the grace of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, and by denying their conversion and, and conforming into the image of Jesus Christ, they've denied Jesus Christ. Though you already know all this, he says, I'm, you know, I'm repeating it, I want to remind you that the Lord delivered his people out of Egypt, but later destroyed those who did not believe. So now he's going to give you a list of examples. And the angels who did not keep their positions of authority, but abandoned their own home. These he's kept in darkness, bound with everlasting change for judgment on the great day. So for those that say, well, we've accepted Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. I'll just continue as I am. It's like, wait a minute. That doesn't work. It didn't work for those that came out of Egypt. They died in the wilderness. It didn't even work for the angels who rebelled. You think you're going to say, yes, 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 I'll follow Jesus. I'm, I'm saved. And then go back. He says it never worked with Israel. It didn't work with the angels. And he's going to give another example. Uh, these he has kept in darkness, everlasting change of Jordan for the great day. In a similar way, Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding towns gave themselves up to sexual immorality and perversion. They serve as an example of those who will suffer the punishment of eternal fire. In the same, say, in the very same way, now he calls them, these dreamers pollute their own bodies 
reject authority, slander celestial beings, but even the archangel Michael, when he was disputing with the devil about the body of Moses, now we're under the assumption of Moses, that's apocrypha, did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against him, but according to the text, said, the Lord rebuke you. He didn't rebuke him. He didn't break rank and authority and challenge someone over him by rank, a, a, a higher ranking angel, Satan, but says, no, the Lord rebuke. He'd be like us saying, I'm not challenging the person and his position. I'm challenging them with the word of God. I, I'm, I'm not rebuking, Michael is not rebuking Satan because I'm slandering him. He's just saying, we are both under the word of God, and you're out of bounds. Not because of what I say, but because the Lord rebuke you, not me. And so, in other words, that's an example he's using. Did not dare to bring a slanderous accusation against them, but said, the Lord rebuke you. Yet these men speak abusively against whatever they do not understand. Meaning they're not using the word of God. They're using their own understanding, their own philosophy. Whatever they don't understand, they ridicule it, make fun of it, and just keep going. But it's like, by what authority are you operating on? My own opinion. And what things they do not understand by instinct, like unreasoning animals, these are the very things they, that destroy them. Woe to them, for they have, now here's another three examples, they have taken the way of Cain, and we'll talk about that sometime. They have rushed for profit into Balaam's heir, and each of these has a classic definition of what their mistake was. They have been destroyed in Korah's rebellion. So three losers right there, they're, they're doing exactly, repeating the same thing, same sin for the same reason, and will receive the same destruction. These men are blemishes at your love feast. Eating with you, meaning that there's they're, they're some kind of church gathering, if it be, actually be the communion supper, which is a gathering of the people together, they're coming in like they're part of you, but then misleading the whole group in a different direction. These men are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you without the slightest qualm. Shepherds who feed only themselves. In the Greek it says shepherding only themselves. They're shepherds. Oh yeah, they're leading somebody, but they're only leading themselves. They're leading them to the, the green pastures. Who are they leading to the green pastures? Themselves. They come in and they're, they're, in a sense, eating the sheep, taking themselves to a place of the good land instead of shepherding the sheep to the green grass. Shepherding, shepherds who feed only themselves, they are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit. I mean, they all have an appearance, but there's no rain. They have the, the harvest, but there's no fruit. You know, they're here, they're, they're a Christian, but they sure don't look like it. Uh, twice dead, they are wild waves of the sea, foaming up their shame. And the idea there is, is the waves, the, the, all the pollutants run to the ocean. And then as the waves splash, it foams up all the pollutants in the water. Wandering stars, for whom blackest darkness has been reserved. And then the wandering stars, that's a reference to planets. And we talked about that. The other night, was it, I don't remember what night we talked about that, but they're wanting, they look like they're out of sync. The whole, everything's rotating this way in the, in the orbit, but here comes a, a, a star going the wrong way. Well, it's not a star, it's a planet that's rotating around the sun instead of around the universe. And so that's what they call, the, the, that's where we get our word planets, who for the blackest darkness has been de, 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 deserved forever. Here we go, verse 14. Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men. And then they have a quote, right out of the book of first enoch which is not in the scriptures in the christian the catholic the protestant the greek orthodox or the jewish scriptures even Josephus, it's not it's not in the jewish scriptures but yet it was definitely a recognized jewish writing 
See, the Lord is coming with thousands upon thousands of his holy ones to judge everyone and to convince all the ungodly of all their ungodly acts they have done in the ungodly way and of the harsh words ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These men are grumblers and fault finders. They follow their own evil desire. Now, see, these guys are being defined now for the third time with three more words. They follow their own evil desires. They boast about themselves and flatter others for their own advantage. But, dear friends, now that's, that's, that was the issue right there. These, these traveling teachers that have come in and they've planted people in churches that are misleading everybody with false doctrine, which leads to false behavior. But, dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold. Now, that's an important word. The apostles. That would eliminate that Jane or Jude, Jude here is not an apostle. I mean, it doesn't, it's not a flat-out you know, denial. But if he's like Paul is writing, he would write, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ. You'd have to write that. It's kind of like if you're going to write with any kind of authority. Like if you're writing a, a, a research paper, you're not going to say, you know, Bob, who lives on 45th Street. You're going to write Dr. You know, McIntosh, you know, Ph.D. graduate here. And now what I'm writing is I've got some authority. Not just my, I was talking to my neighbors, and this is what we think. It's like this is some authority. Or if you're in a classroom, you don't walk in, you know, you know in my, my world, you didn't walk in and say, hi, I'm Bob, your teacher. You walk in and say, I'm Mr. Weemers, your teacher. It's like there is now, we're establishing some kind of authority here. And so the word apostle, it's not, it's not, I don't walk into a class and say, I'm Mr. Weemers, I'll be your teacher this year. It's like, wow, he's really arrogant. It's like, no, I mean, that's my responsibility. Or anybody that's, an, a, you know, a police officer, although I'm, I'm officer so-and-so, it's like, what, who do you think you are? <laughs> well, I've got responsibility. And so if Judas writing, especially this harsh letter and is calling people out, if he is an apostle, sti- or did I say James? Jude, I meant Jude. Uh, I hate that when I go back and listen to my audio and it's like, I say something I didn't even mean. It's like wrong name. It's like, I hope you don't, and I see people writing it down. It's like, no, 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 no. Well, that's new information. I didn't write it down. <laughs> that's false information. Jude, uh, if he's an apostle, he should be saying, as an apostle of Jesus Christ, I'm recognizing this heir, but he doesn't use that. But he does recognize the apostles. So, I mean, I think we can eliminate the fact that Jude is one of the apostles, and that'll come up in our discussion a little bit. <clears throat> but, dear friends, remember that the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ foretold, they said to you, in the last times there will be scoffers who will follow their own ungodly desires. This verse causes trouble for some people because it get, when they're trying to date it because they see, ah, look, Christianity is developed into this body of truth, and they can say at a later date, 150 A.D., 200 A.D., whenever they want to put the, the, the date on this book, that they're looking back at established doctrines established on Scripture. Uh, and that's, that's fair, except whenever this book was written, if you've already had Jesus' teaching, you've had the apostles, you've had the day of Pentecost, there's already established doctrine so that Paul himself, and I'll show you a couple of verses, Paul himself can refer to the doctrine, the teaching that was handed to me. I mean, even the apostle Paul received from the church, remember he went and met with, with Peter and James in the church you know, early on when he first became a believer, he received certain doctrines. This is what we hold to. And that was before he even began going up to the church of, or he was at the church of Antioch, but before he went on his missionary trips. So 
there's not a problem that there is established doctrine. It's, it's, it's a fallacy to think the church just floated and floundered <coughs> with, with no direction and doctrine until, you know, the Council of Nicaea, you know, in 325, and then they established. These things were established early on. I mean, there's guys writing, Matthew, uh, Luke are writing, uh, especially talking about Matthew and John, are writing things right off of, off of Jesus' ministry. Nonetheless, uh, they, the apostle says there's going to be false teachers. These are men who divide you. And again, another definition of how, what's happening. Divide you who follow mere natural instincts and do not have the spirit. Meaning they're just using their own mind. They don't have the spirit. They may be imitating Christianity, but they're not led or empowered by the spirit. But you, dear friends, build your, you don't, don't follow them. Don't follow them. You do something different. You build yourself up in your most holy faith. The faith that's been handed to you, you, you dig into that, you hang on to that faith, build yourself up in that faith, and pray in the Holy Spirit. So the faith, again, that, 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 again, that doesn't refer to faith as in I've got great faith, but build yourself up in the faith. The, this is the faith. Build yourself up in this doctrine. Don't listen to the garbage. This is what's building you up. So separate from those false leaders Build yourself up in the faith that's been handed down, the traditions that we've all accepted, the apostles agreed, and, and, and pray in the Holy Spirit. Keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. In other words, we're, keeping our, we're staying grounded in this faith, waiting. Again, Christianity is the idea. Here we're grounded in the faith, but we're waiting for the great day. If you're having the great day now, uh, you may not be grounded in the doctrines of Christianity because the doctrines of Christianity say you're going to face hardship and persecution and be rejected by the world. So hang on to the faith and wait for the great day. I, I'm having a great day now. It's like, are you reading? Are you grounded? No, I, we're really out in our community. We're having celebrations and parties. You know, the party's always with Jesus. And they're all, it's like, whoa, 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 what, what, where are you at? Are you using Bible verses? No, we're all just Christians, just fellowshipping, loving on each other here, building a community. It's like, are you waiting for the return of Jesus Christ? Oh, we don't want to get into those doctrines. Those things divide us. Doctrine issues, they divide people. We don't want to get harsh into doctrine. We'll just sit and love each other and, and, and fellowship. And, and hey, have you heard the band? It's like, uh, you... Uh, keep yourselves in God's love as you wait for the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. Be merged. Now here's, and now here's three things. What do you do with those that have fallen away? Again, it doesn't say be judgmental and crush them. Here's what we should do, or they should do. And again, that applied to us. Be merciful to those who doubt. I don't know if Jesus is coming back, for example. It's like, well, be merciful. It's like, how, uh, you heretic, you loser. Well, be mer- help them, you know. Uh, snatch others from the fire. Others are on their way to eternal damnation. Snatch them from the fire and save them. To others, show mercy mixed with fear. Meaning, I'm offering you mercy, but you understand there is a great day of judgment coming, or however you want to explain it. You can't live like that and get away with it. So mercy mixed with fear, hating even the clothing stained by corrupted flesh. Now here's the end. To him who is able to keep you from falling, and this is a doctrine about your salvation, and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord 
before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. And that last uh, three verses there, last two verses, are just loaded with, with doctrine in that, in that comment right there. Now, if you would, while we've read that, flip over to Second Peter. And uh, again, you, you, Second Peter, he talks about, he, he's at it towards the end of his life. I mean, he made, the Lord has made clear to him that he's going to be putting off the tent of his body and his life is over. And he says, I want you to always remember, even in my absence when I'm gone, I always want you to remember the word. His, his, don't forget the word. We have something, we've had, we were with the Lord on the holy mountain, saw the transfiguration. Peter says, we saw some impressive things. But you have something more sure than seeing Jesus transfigure in the Mount of, Mount of Transfiguration. You have the word of the prophets. You have the text of Scripture. And then he's going to come in to, uh, and this is where it says, uh, well, verse 12 of chapter 1, 2 Peter. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. So when Peter's writing, and this would be right around 63, 64 A.D., because he's executed by Nero in 64 A.D., he can say, you are firmly established in the truth you already have. So before Peter died, the truth has already been established in the church. And he says, I'm not teaching you the truth. I'm reminding you of the truth that you've already are well. You've been to church. You've been to all these classes. You've studied. You've all participated. And now you know them. So what are we going to do? I'm going to remind you of the truth that you're already establishing. So once you teach through all the Bible, what is there left to teach? You teach it again. You Because it's like the world is chipping away at you every moment. And, and once you say, well, I think we've covered that. There's things I've taught in the past. And I look at the book, it's like, oh my gosh, I need to teach that again. Because it was like 10 years ago that we went through a certain book. Or, you know, longer. Nonetheless, that's Paul, Peter saying this. I think it's right to, re he says, I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body. So his ministry was teaching, and once everyone knew everything, what's his ministry? Refreshing your memory of what I've already taught you. And, but do notice right there, the truth is already established in Peter's mind. And then he's going to swing off here and start talking about these false teachers. Before we do, I want you to notice how he ends the book. He ends it um, talking about uh, Paul. Look in verse uh, chapter 3, verse 15. Peter writes, the reason we're looking at 2 Peter is Jude and 2 Peter are very similar. And it's like, they, they're going to, when we get into the introduction of the book, that, that's going to be important on when you date this book. Because Peter is using Jude, or Jude is using Peter, or Jude and Peter are using another source that's same because it, it's so parallel. So again, that's why we're looking at this, just to show this. But no, I do want you to point this out. Uh, chapter uh, 3, verse 15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. He says, Paul, he writes the same way in all of his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand. So now right here at the end of Second Peter, we're introducing Paul's letters. And Paul's letters have some things that are hard to understand. Now, there's, we could go through a list of things that Paul writes that are hard to understand, but one of them is possibly going to be grace. 
You're saved by faith in Christ because he is the one who paid for your sins. He is the one who is, all of his teachings, he said, I am the life, I am the way, I am the truth. Anyone who comes to me will find life. What do we need to do? You need to come to me, Jesus would say. But how do we need, he says, you come to me. I will give you life. I will give you the spirit. So it's grace in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So this is hard to understand, but how do we become Christians? What do I need to do to be a Christian? You need to find the tree of life, which is Jesus. You need to find the way of life, which is Jesus. How do I find it? You go to Jesus. It's, it's, it go to Christ. He is your salvation. Life is in Jesus. But how do I get it? What do I need to do? It's like, uh, you need to meet Jesus. He's, he's speaking. He's calling you now. This would replace the idea of, okay, these are the ten things. I've got eight of the ten things nailed down as a Christian. I'm working on these last two for my merit badge of being a Christian. And when I get these two, then I will have eternal life. It's like, no, that's not grace. That's you cleaning yourself up. That's a human work. Now, once you come to Christ and he gives you life, guess what that life, that spirit, that water, that truth is going to do? It's going to begin to transform you into his image. It's like if you... If you eat something, if you drink something, it begins to transform or change your body. If you take in Christ, you take by faith, you take his word into your soul, it begins to transform you. It changes you. It's not you changing yourself and presenting yourself to God. Isaiah nails that when he says all of our good deeds are like filthy rags. Look, I've cleaned myself up. It's like being, well, you've been there before. You're all, uh, you know, your hands are all sticky or greasy or something. And then you try to clean yourself up in the more... I'm thinking of a napkin in a restaurant with syrup. You know, and it's like the more you touch yourself, the, it's like I'm going to clean myself up. And the more you touch yourself with that sticky napkin, the more it's like I, I can't, that's, that's trying to fix yourself as a human. You, you can't. You need to take a shower. <laughs> you need to be saved by grace. You need the life. But once you have this, this now transforms you into this new image, which is conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That, that's salvation. These are possibly, this is one of those hard things to understand. But don't I have to change? Yes, this will change you, but if you change yourself, you're not really saved. You're just trying to wipe yourself off with a sticky napkin, if that makes sense. You're just presenting your good deeds and their filthy rags, as as Isaiah says. So keep that in mind, because that's going to lead into this whole idea. Uh, Paul's writings, letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort. Because you can see the distortion right here. So we don't have to change? You can't change. You're a fallen human. You, You need to be saved by Jesus Christ. So there's nothing we need to do. No. So we don't need to change. No. You just need to say, I'm a Christian and God's grace will save me. Well, okay. So now ignorant and unstable people will say, I believed in Jesus. I went to church. I, I was in the love feast. I had the, the, ate, ate the communion. I was dipped in water. It's like ignorant and unstable people distort this. And it's like God, look, God accepts everyone. You don't need to change. You're perfect the way you are. No, you're not perfect the way you are. You're totally a, a total wreck. 
you, you need to be saved by grace. You're so far from being perfect, you can't even fix anything. You, you are totally imperfect. Uh, I guess we'd say totally depraved. Uh, understand which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scripture to their own destruction. There's Peter recognizing Paul's writing in 64 AD as scripture and that his letters have been distorted by false teachers who change this grace into a chance just to keep on living the way you want to live. You don't have to change anything. It's hard to understand. Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by air of lawless men. Meaning you know this. Don't let this teaching get trampled on and changed into lawlessness. And you fall from your secure position. But grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory now and forever. So what do you do when you're, once you're here? You grow in this grace, and you grow in this grace by continuing to gain knowledge and understanding. It's hard to understand, so if you understand it, you don't fully understand it. You may have an understanding. You keep growing in this knowledge, so you continue to understand in a greater way. That's Peter writing. Uh, and now in, in, go to Second Peter, or, yeah, Second Peter chapter 2. And as we read through this very quickly, you're going to see a, a similarity. I'm not going to read all of it. But chapter 2 of 2 Peter, this is in between him saying we've got to remember the word. And at the end, Paul's teachings have been perverted. And in the middle is the perversion of that teaching. Chapter 2, verse 1. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. So in the Old Testament, there's false prophets. The church will have false teachers. Now, again, you've got to think bigger than, you know, the Mormons or the Jehovah Witnesses or the Quran or something like that. You're going to have to think, like, in your midst. In, in fact, you, you should look at me and say, does he qualify as being a true teacher or is he a false teacher? I mean, you, this, this is right here. Everyone should come under scrutiny. Does that make sense? Because there are false teachers among the church in the ancient days throughout the ages and today. And I've always said before, if you can't identify them, it's like, I, I don't really know if, I don't think I know any false teachers. Oh my gosh, then start listening. I mean, if you, if, if you haven't got the ability to judge who's teaching salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ and a lifestyle of transformation, I know it's hard to understand, but if you can't identify that, then you really need to examine what the truth is and examine who's teaching. Well, yeah, but the teachers, they're, they're such nice people. The pastors are so nice. They have, they're so concerned about the people. Are, are, are they false teachers? Well, they really don't teach. It's more of a community. It's like, or whatever. I mean, what, you, it's, you should be able to, this is what Peter's saying right here. There will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies. They're not going to come in with a banner, Welcome to False Teaching Sunday. Today's the day we destroy the grace of God into a license to sin. Come on in and party with us. It's like, no, they secretly. It's like under the guise of we're saved by grace, God loves you as you are. And it's like, and, and some of them are doing it intentionally because they're shepherding only themselves, meaning they're only taking themselves to the green pastures. The more people I get in, the greener my pastures are. But others are just ignorant. Ignorant and unstable people distort this teaching. 
I mean, you can do it intentionally, or you could just flat out be ignorant. They will secretly do destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has been long hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. <clears throat> so that J- James or Jude said that. Now, I, I'm going to have a trouble whenever I say Jude. I want to revert back into saying James because I've been saying James for like a year. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in the gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on the ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes, and he continues on, and we can just continue, he ends up talking about angels, uh, verse, is it verse, verse 10, middle of verse 10, well, I'll just start in verse 10. These are especially true of those who follow the corrupt desire of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings, yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of our Lord. Now, that, right, that, that statement right there doesn't have the context of the assumption of Moses that uh, Jude used, but it's the same idea. Even angels don't accuse other angels in the presence of the Lord. What's he talking about? Well, Jude said, well, that's right out of the book of the Assumption of Moses. He gives you the, the source. But these men, and that, notice Peter shies away from giving the source. He doesn't say, and he gives the exact story. But these men, blasphemy and matters they do not understand, they are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed, and like beasts, they too will perish and continues. So that is right there, uh, enough of that. If you go to the very back page of our notes, uh, back page five, I've just got right there, Second Peter. And this is, again, the reason Second Peter is important is because we're introducing the book of Jude, and we're going to have to ask, who wrote it? Who, who wrote it? When was it written? And Second uh, Peter, it seems to be very parallel. So it's a, it's a, a, he's either familiar with it, they're in a, a similar climate. Uh, who, okay, I'll just say, where was it sent? And where did it come from? Where from? And these are things, this is answered. Who is answered? I think we can say confidently, I'll give you some options. But I think we've already got that, you know, introduced pretty good. Who, we'll talk about some more. But when, we, we don't know when. We, re, we just read the book of Jude. When was it written? It could have been written any time in church history, except for the fact that we've got, you know, uh, quotes from it and references to it, you know, early on, so we, got it, we can limit it. <clears throat> Where was it sent to? We don't know which church. He doesn't say to the church of Colossae or to the, to the churches in Syria. We don't know. We do know this, and we'll emphasize this some more. It is very heavy in Jewish scripture references even the Apocrypha. But yet, it's talking about sin that is more typical of the Gentiles. So, meaning, what's happening there? And where is he writing from? Uh, We don't know where this is being sent from. Uh, And I'm going to give you some answers. But nonetheless, again, not that I'm going to be absolutely sure on those questions, because we're going to speculate on these. Uh, 2 Peter. 2 Peter, uh, Peter, writing 2 Peter right before his death in 64 AD is similar to Jude. So we can pretty much nail down the book of 2 Peter was written 63, 62 AD. Even Peter knew he was on his way to his death. 
And again, it's written different than 1 Peter, different style of Greek. Uh, and that's, that's because there's someone helping him write 1 Peter, meaning he wrote it and then it was probably edited, which is very common in the day. You'd have scribes like Mark would be a scribe, and he would write, and you would say, and then he would write it in correct you know, format, which is not unusual. 2 Peter is not written with the scribe. It's, people say, Greek scholars say, it's written a different style of Greek, meaning it's rougher. It, it's, all, it, it's like me talking. It's like the verbs don't match the nouns. It's like uh, the sentences aren't complete. It's like, you know, and so you need someone to edit the work, and it wasn't, which puts it right there at 63, 64 A.D. One of these is the case. Peter and Jude are familiar with a text that we do not have, meaning they're both referring to a text. And again, they can be talking about a situation. I can show you that Peter's talking about the same situation, or Paul's talking about the same situation, but he uses his own words. Peter and Jude are talking about the same situation, but they're using the same illustrations the same way. It could be coincidence on one, or everybody's going to refer to, you know, Sodom and Gomorrah, everybody's going to refer to Balaam. But I mean, when you get the same terminology, in fact, there's some of the words are, they're, using this, they're either using the same source or B, Peter in 64 A.D. was familiar with the book of Jude that had to be written before 64 A.D. And so we could say if Peter's using Jude uh, before 64 A.D., uh, if, if Peter is using or is re- referring to Jude. He's not quoting Jude, but it's the same subject, the same words. That doesn't mean it's 63 A.D., but before. Or if Jude was familiar with Second uh, Peter, if Second Peter writes in 64 AD and the letter circulates and P- J- Jude picks it up and starts using the same terminology, then it would be Jude would be written after 64 AD. Do you understand how that's working? I'm, I'm going to think, and I'll try to show you a few things. I think it's before 64 AD. I think Jude comes first. Now, you can make your own decision. No one knows. No, you're going to have to do internal investigation, look at church history, and come up with you know, the best case scenario. I think the best case scenario, and, and most scholars uh, and commentators think Jude was written first and Peter is alluding to Jude, but they're both seeing the same problem, which we can also see Paul's seeing the same problem. Changing the license or the grace of God into a license to sin. I'll show you that. Um, and here's, here's a list right here, just a, a, a little uh, chart you can see the verse references, Jude 4, 4, 6, all the way down, and where Peter says it. These are the things that are similar. False teachers' condemnation comes from the past. I mean, these false teachers, they were written about a long time ago. Both Peter and Jude say that. They both accuse the false teachers of denying the sovereign Lord. Yet they're a teacher in the church leading people, and they're denying the sovereign Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, they both use angels, or refer to angels confined for judgment. Peter says in gloomy, and Jude says in darkness. Both translated the word zaphos. So the word in the Greek is zaphos. One becomes gloomy, one becomes darkness. But they both use that word. I think it's 13 words, maybe, yeah, 13 I think it is. It's in the notes here. Uh, Jude uses 13 words in his short letter. In that short letter, there's 13 words in that letter that are nowhere else in the New Testament, which is like... I mean, really, look at all that Paul wrote. Jude uses 13 words that Paul never touched in his short little letter. Uh, it is, again, again, I, I, wish I, was, I wish it was a lot of things, and if I really cared, I probably would have been. Uh, but I wish I was a Greek scholar. 
again, if I really did, I would have become a Greek scholar. But Greek scholars say, I, I can't say myself, but they say that this is a very highly written letter. The, the, the style of writing is very well done. So much so that they, some, the critics would say, it can't be written by Jesus' brother from Nazareth in Galilee. This guy is well-trained and well-spoken of, or w- speaks well. Uh, but again, look at Jesus. And again, that's an assumption that everybody in Nazareth was, you know, unschooled. And again, they're living in a, a next to the Decapolis. The, the Greek language was familiar. Uh, they could have been trained well, uh, especially with James all, and, and Jude, all the traveling that they're going to do and the people they come in contact with. Jesus certainly was not a clown when it came to quoting and he said, well, he was the son of God, so he knows these things. But at the same time, he, was, he, was, he had to be trained and grew up as a man, so he had to learn all these things also. And so he got his, people think that's where did he get this teaching from? He's not in any kind of a school. Where did he get this stuff from? I would, in the behind the scenes, I would say, I think, and the Bible doesn't say it, but it, you can build this case also. Mary was a great teacher their mom Mary, because you look at her first song she sings in Luke, when she finds out, she, she expresses herself in a song that is like filled with scripture, very rich in culture and history and insight into the throne of David, all, I mean, eschatologically, uh, Israel's history. And she is connected to the, the Levitical family, the teaching family. So it's very likely <coughs> Mary, especially when the angel tells her what she's responsible for, uh, I mean, she's going to go into some serious homeschooling, uh, <coughs> I would say. Pope, you know, the Bible doesn't give you that, but it, you can build a case. Nonetheless, there's no reason to think Jude couldn't have written this. Uh, they both refer to Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, they reject or despise authority and slander celestial beings. <coughs> Angels do not bring slanderous accusations. Apostate teachers with are blemishes. Uh, Jude says there are clouds without rain blown, uh, blown by the wind. Peter says there's springs without water and mist driven by a storm. I mean, you see how that's similar that is. And then they talk about scoffers following their own evil and ungodly desires. And so those are some references to that. Now, going with the notes here on page one. The author, I'm going to just go through these notes. The author identifies himself as Jude, and I already write, write this right here. Jude is Judah in Hebrew, Judas in Greek. Uh, and then that first option of it being uh, possibly uh, the brother of James, I'm going to skip that right now and go to page two and give you some other options. The, uh, one, uh, there's three other options, and they're really not options. Uh, these are guys that are mentioned in the Bible that are named Judas or Jude, forgetting Judas Iscariot. There was another apostle named Judas, point B on page two, that's Thaddeus. In Matthew and Mark, uh, he's called Thaddeus. In Luke and Acts, he's called uh, Judas, the son of James. So Thaddeus is uh, Judas, the son of James, the same guy, apparently. Uh, But verse 17 would seem to eliminate that. Remember I pointed that out? The apostles foretold these things. Judas B was an apostle, or Jude the apostle, or Thaddeus was an apostle. If he's writing this letter, why not throw down the title, Apostle, and write with authority? That would be the common thing to do. Um, If Jude was one of the 12, it would have been likely that he identifies himself as the authority. Uh, Yeah, and so that's that point. I don't think Judas or Thaddeus 
Uh, now again, there's two apostles named Judas. Judas, son of James, called Thaddeus, and then Judas Iscariot. We can eliminate Judas Iscariot. One, he's dead. Uh, Judas uh, Thaddeus, I think he should have said he's an apostle, so that's, he's out. Uh, another would be Judas Barsabbas. He was a leader in the early church. He's traveled, you see this in Acts 15, when Paul and Barnabas came down to Acts and they returned after the Jerusalem Council in 48 where they met with James and the leaders of the church about circumcision, they return. They take with them Silas and Judas. Uh, and that Judas uh, is mentioned here. That's Judas Bersabbas. Uh, and that he, that's, it would be his father's name, son of Bersabbas. And that's what Bar means, Bar. Uh, it is possible that he is the brother of Joseph Barsabbas. And again, Joseph Barsabbas was one of the two that was up for the election to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1. Um, and uh, and he, he did, didn't win the election. There. They had drew straws or something. Uh, but it's interesting, his name was Joseph Barsabbas, and then Judas Barsabbas, traveled with Paul and Barnabas back up to Antioch. So he would have been, uh, Judas Barsabbas would have been a brother of the one that did not win Judas's spot of the apostles. Uh, he could be an option, but it doesn't seem like it because his name's Judas Barsabbas put in there. Plus, he's a brother of James. Uh, and here he's a brother of Joseph. And not, this is worthless, point D. Uh, another one that's mentioned is Judas the Galilean. He was a revolutionary in 6 A.D., and didn't want the Jews to register to pay taxes uh, to, the, to the Romans and started a revolt that was put down. It could have been the revolt against Rome uh, that broke out in 66 AD, but it was put down because the time of Christ hadn't come yet. And so it was put down. Uh, he's mentioned by uh, Gamiel in Acts chapter 5, verse 37, when Gamiel talks to the Sanhedrin and says, this Jesus movement, just let it go. If it's from God, you're going to find yourself fighting from God. But if it's not from God, then he gives you two examples. Uh, Judas the Galilean, who rose up, and once he was dis- killed, uh, his movement faded away. Although it didn't, it became the Zealot movement. Uh, and, the, and his two sons were executed in 46 AD, about, say, 16 years after Gamiel says, look, he got killed and nothing became of it. There were Zealots. His two sons were killed uh, in 46 AD, trying to get the revolt going again. And his grandson, Monahem, was one of the leaders of the early leaders of the Jewish revolt in 66 AD. So what he began in 6 AD was quenched, was quenched again in 46 AD when his sons were killed. And then finally his grandson and Josephus had to fight against him when Josephus, uh, or fight along with him, and, and they had internal fightings. Uh, but nonetheless, that's another Judas. None of those would be the right Jude. So it kind of leaves us with, especially someone that can just call themselves Jude, son of, or brother of James, it's going to have to be somebody well-known, and that's your list of people that are well-known, that we know of. Um, um, just some other things here to say. Uh, point three, verse, or point three, five, in John 7, 5, for not even his brothers believed in him during Jesus' ministry. Uh, but then in Acts chapter 1, verse 4, all these were in one accord on the day of Pentecost, were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So again, we can assume all of his brothers were there because it says his brothers, but that would definitely include James and Jude. Um, it, in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 5, 
Paul is talking about his right as an apostle, that he's not going to abuse his right as an apostle. But he says, he says, I do have the right. He, he, he's talking to the Corinthians. So the Corinthians were talking about their rights, their rights, their privileges. And he says, listen, he says, I came to you and I, I didn't use my right. I got a job. I paid my own way. But he says, as an apostle, I've got the right to come and demand that you take care of me while I'm preaching in your church. He says, I didn't, he's giving an example. I didn't use that right. He says, I could be just like the, the other apostles and the Lord's brothers. So the other apostles would be like Peter and the Lord's brothers would be James and Jude. And what they would do right here, he says, but we do not, but, excuse me, do, I'm in point six under three on page one. Um, he, in 1 Corinthians 9, 5, do we not have the right to take along a believing wife as do the other apostles and the brothers of our Lord and Cephas. So you've got the apostles, you've got Cephas, which is Peter, and then you've got the brothers of the Lord, which were traveling and spreading the gospel, building up the churches, teaching the churches, but they were traveling, not only having their expenses paid by the church when they got there, a place to stay, food, whatever, and then money and a sandwich to be sent off to the next location. They were also traveling right here with their wife, Peter traveled with his wife, as did the Lord's brothers. So James was married, and his wife would travel with him. Jude, if we were going with this, would be married, and his wife would travel, and the churches would support them. So Jude, along with James, that's why James can write to those other churches we saw before, they're also traveling somewhat like uh, uh, Paul. We see this happening often. All the apostles moved out of Jerusalem except... uh, john until he took mary up to ephesus and then he's up there in ephesus teaching so all these guys were traveling so we can assume jude was a traveling teacher and that's that's interesting to understand that's where he's 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 writing these churches not necessarily one church but several churches if it's the case peter ends up with this letter in rome being familiar with this letter while he's in rome uh this is interesting just flat out information uh Eusebius records that a guy by the name of Hegesiphus, uh, and Hegesiphus wrote church history around 165 to 175 A.D., okay? So Eusebius is going to write around 3, let's say 350, 325, let's say 350 A.D., and he refers back to 165 to 175, this guy writing about church history that had been taking place and I've got a link there on the notes that you can go there and read this. There are all kinds of early church writings there. This is just flat out interesting. All right? This is from uh, the writing of 165, 175 that's recorded in 350 around that <coughs> by Eusebius, who wrote really the greatest church history of that time. This is not scripture. This is just church history from 165, 175 going back to the first century. So you're going to have... Jude, uh, and Jude is going to have a wife, and he's going to have a family, and then his family is going to have, they're going to branch off, and he's going to have grandsons. Now, the fa- this family is from Nazareth, they're from Israel, James continues to live in Jerusalem, Jude most likely continued to live in Israel, traveled from Jerusalem, traveled from Israel, maybe lived in Jerusalem. His family, of course, is going to stay in the Jewish community. They may have left with the different groups, but they 
Jesus' family (coughs) stayed in Jerusalem until they fled the Jerusalem destruction in in 65, 66 AD. Uh, we, We can see the after James was killed, and he was the leader of the church, Jesus' brother, his cousin became the leader of the church and led the people across the Jordan River. Well, the grandsons have now come back to live in the land after the Jewish wars. So you've got Vespasian uh, being sent by Nero in 66 AD to to attack Jerusalem and, and plunder the temple. Vespasian leaves Titus, his son in charge, when Vespasian becomes the general. Titus destroys Jerusalem. Titus becomes the general after his father Vespasian. Uh, And then Domitian, who is Titus's brother and Vespasian's son, takes over and is going to be emperor from like 86 to 96 AD. What do I I have this written here? Uh, 81 to 96 AD is Domitian. Domitian is going to put John on the Isle of Patmos. When he is killed, he's he's assassinated, ending the the Flavian or Flavian, depending on how you want to say it. This is the Flavian dynasty. F-L-A-V-A-N. Flavian, Flavian dynasty. Vespasian the father and two sons. They're the ones that destroyed Jerusalem. And then Domitian is killed by Trajan, and Trajan releases all of Domitian's political prisoners, and John's set, set free. But while Domitian was emperor, he's concerned, at, because they, they've destroyed Jerusalem. They've had the big parade, the big uh, uh, celebration, uh, the proclamation, the victorious proclamation, marching in the, the, the Arch of, of Titus is there showing the Jewish plunder. Well, Domitian is concerned sometime between 81 and 96 A.D., about the line of the Jewish kings from David. Are they going to regroup and come back together? Now, in, by 135, they do. But that's, that's another story. So the mission is going to investigate. And this is that story. I'm going to read this and we're done. There, were still, there still survived of the kindred of the Lord, the grandsons of Judas, or Jude's grandsons, who according to the flesh was called his brother. These were informed against as belonging to the family of David. Someone reported to Domitian, there's family of the son of, of, the, of David's family, the royal line of Judah, still living among us. So even Jude was a descendant of David, which makes his grandsons a descendant of David, because Jesus was a descendant of David. It all makes sense. Uh, belonging to the family of David, and Euvocatus brought them before Domitian Caesar, and I wrote that in there, 8196 AD, for that emperor dreaded the advent of Christ as Herod had done. So they're afraid of the Jews, not necessarily that, that we, the sky's going to split apart and Armageddon's going to take place and the world's going to end, but that the Jews are going to find, <clears throat> you know, like Herod was not afraid of Jesus coming back and setting up his kingdom. He was afraid of someone revo- causing a revolt like Judas the Galilean causing trouble domitian's like okay dad started the war brother ended the war now these jews are they how 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 ended are they well there's there's a group that stills are from the line of david they could start a revolt Mm, better check in so he asked them they they apparently came to rome to stand before domitian in rome so he asked them whether they were of the family of david and they confessed they were these are jude's grandsons let's say 85 a.d Next, he asked them what property they had and how much money they possessed. Okay, 
where's your kingdom? How much do you have? Uh, they both replied that they had only 9,000 denarii. Now remember, a denarius is a day's wage. <coughs> so they've got, and they said each owning half that sum. So 4,500 denarius is what they each had. But they don't have it in cash. They each have, they worth about 4,000, does this give you the impression? I could, should have done the math. But each of their, Jude's grandsons, is worth about 4,500 days of labor. That's their entire estate. But even this, they said, they did not possess in cash, but as the estimated value of some land consisting of 39 plethora only. That's, you know, a small amount of acreage. Out of which they had to pay the dues, meaning their taxes, and that they supported themselves by their own labor. We have some land. The whole thing's worth about 9,000 denarius, and we use that to make enough money to pay the taxes and enough left over to feed ourselves and that they supported themselves by their own labor we don't have servants we farm it ourselves and then they began to hold out their hands exhibiting as proof of their manual labor the roughness of their skin and the corns raised on their hands by constant work meaning we're farmers and the land we've got is it's worth nine thousand denarius a split between the two of us and that's what we have to make money to pay taxes and eat food being then asked concerning christ and his kingdom what about the kingdom of the family of david and of the messiah that's supposed to come what was its nature and when and where it was to appear so Domitian's saying this whole kingdom idea this messiah when where is it going to come what do i got to look out for they returned answered that it was not of this world nor of the earth but belonged to the sphere of heaven and angels and would make its appearance at the end of time when he shall come in glory and judge the living and the dead and render to everyone according to the course of his life he said oh, oh yeah that's not us we're waiting for him to come and the kingdom is going to be a heavenly kingdom thereupon domitian the last of the flavian dynasty who's going to be executor or going to be assassinated replaced by trajan uh, another family therefore domitian passed no condemnation upon them but treated them with contempt not sympathy but like made fun of them like you know well contempt as to mean for notice and let them go free at the same time he issued a command and put a stop to the persecution against the church interesting that it says that because he is going to be the one that arrests john so is that early on something else is going to flare up because john is going to be in prison on isle of patmos uh in 96 a.d when they were released they became leaders of the churches as was was natural in the case of those who were at once martyrs and of the kindred of the lord meaning recognize the family of christ continued to be the leader of the church in israel and after the establishment of peace to the church their lives were prolonged to the reign of trajan or it says here trojan <clears throat> okay so that's again an introduction i've got much more to say about that we'll kind of clean this up uh when we come back uh we won't have class next week but we will then the following week that's the beginning of the book of jude some background uh and we'll we'll go from it from there next time father we do thank you for the chance to look into these things we ask again that we would allow this word to transform our lives
that we would trust Jesus Christ and His grace for our salvation, but then allow His Spirit and His Word to transform us into the image of Christ Himself and become more like Christ, even at this time in history. We thank you for this Word. We thank you for the history and ask that we may handle these things diligently and accurately to proclaim truth in our own lives and around the world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for being here.